You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. Welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. Rock and roll all night podcast every day. That's right. Right on. I like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, really this, has that been taken? But Chris Jericho. Oh, uh, fuck Chris Jericho, man. <laughs> <laughs> Stealing our shit. <laughs> after we, after, we, after I stole after it. After we stole it from him. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, we're, we're in our deep dive of sorts of the solo albums. The phenomenon yes, of the solo albums. Uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, I should say, we formally with with uh, Cap and Alex from the Something Good For You podcast. Yo, yo. Always. Um, hopefully, you are keeping up with this. We are, I guess this is where we're, we've lettered these yes. episodes. So, this is episode C. C. Yeah. <laughs> and we are going into the, uh, the, uh, the oddity of Gene Simmons' solo album. That's yeah, right. That's the uh, putting it lightly. And uh, yeah, check out the uh, Ace Freely and the Peter Chris episodes uh, if you haven't already. And which, you know, the Peter record kind of links to this one in, in kind of an outside way. Yes. He's using a lot of the same session guys on this. Right. And he also used the manor. Uh, Did, that, uh, where we were saying that uh, Peter recorded his record also? No, I don't oh, I'm believe sorry. so. You know, See, Peter recorded his in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Oh, I got that conflated with Aces. He recorded at the mansion. He recorded the Colgate Mansion. Yeah, but no, the, the manor. That's my Gene bad. recorded this at a place called the manor in Oxford, yes. England. Mm-hmm. And flew everyone over there to do this. It was uh, him and Sean Delaney. At Sean the Delaney is producing this, which I think is very telling. And I think... Uh, all things considered, as you look at this record, I think this is more of a Sean Laney album almost. Right. I mean, it's Gene's material, but I think Sean's the one that fleshed it out, built the the arrangements. I mean, this is really saying a lot for Sean Delaney, in my opinion. But right. um, since we're we've going for brevity on these episodes, um, I guess we'll just jump in and start uh, on this track by track. Well, I mean. Uh do we but, want to go through the session musicians? Because sure, yeah, you know, I, he be a has a idea. lot of personnel he, on this he has record. A lot, well, the, now some of these, I don't consider the session musicians as being the guest musicians. Too. No, no, no. Yeah, I, yes, there is a the, big distinction. The core, the core group of session guys. It's uh, it's Elliot Randall is playing guitar from Steely Dan, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Neil Jason. Neil Jason's on bass. Now he, Bob, oh, these guys were on at least. On some on of the Peter's tracks on Peter's record. album, Alan Schwartzberg way, on drums, and Gene does not play bass on any of these tracks. And by the way, Gene, I was going to say Gene doesn't play any instruments on this album. It's all just him vocals. Uh, no, he plays the guitars too, like rhythm I, guitars. I think he's credited, but from what I understand, well, okay, we got to you know mm-hmm. hearsay and 
So, after so, the fact, but so, Sean Delaney says Gene, none of Gene's tracks are on these records. He okay. might have did some guide stuff, but none of it survived. Okay, so at least through uh, Gene's reaccounting, uh, yeah. through his book, uh, he says that he wanted to showcase that he was more than a bassist, so right. he played the guitars on this record. Yeah, but I so think, from what I so the way he phrases it is rhythm sections and stuff like that on guitars is him, Sean said but none then of like that survived. special solos. But who knows? Have you ever watched Gene Simmons play a guitar? It's atrocious. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's kind of basically what Sean did. And, you know, I think I think I trust Delaney's recollection on this because I think you know it, it's it's not like it, it was a F Gene thing. He's just you know just clear kind on of, the point. Yeah, and um, you know I think Sean Delaney was probably bitter, but I think so. Some of his claims are kind of dubious, but I think you know this seemed like it was a very matter of fact thing it wasn't like because gene wasn't good enough or whatever but he you know you know his point was when you got people like uh um elliot randall why you know Mm -hmm. or jeff skunk baxter i was gonna say you know why why would you have a gene simmons track you know exactly so well i can play solos well you also have joe perry (laughs) yeah i don't think perry plays a solo on this um He's he plays kind of and, and a lot of this stuff like I think you know we we just mentioned Skunk Baxter I don't think any of his stuff survived on it. Well, Joe Perry's uh, accredited for Radioactive and right. Tunnel of Love, but I don't think we'll see. The, we're, we'll talk about this when we get to Tunnel of Love. There's multiple guitarists that get credit on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and from like- what I understand, I think we know who actually did it so we'll get to there um but again so elliot randall neil jason alan schwartzberg mm-hmm. uh one thing about neil jason's bass playing i noticed he has this uh this bass snap string snap thing that There's he that does all yeah the deal, yeah you know it, and you know sean delaney recorded an album around the same time using these same guys called mm-hmm. highway and it it sounds it sounds more like peter's record and it, but it has all that same those stylings. You can hear it if you listen to it. You hear right away. Oh yeah, this is like Gene and Peter's record. You Got can hear it. those guys because I think it were probably done at well, maybe even the same sessions. I don't of, even know. But a lot, a lot of R and B and a lot of funk on this record too. With uh, yeah, yeah, especially oh, with we'll the bass playing that. So do you got anything else about background here? Because um, no, nah, I'd say. Uh, just got a quick rundown of the uh, major guest appearances, or do we want to talk about we'll, that with we'll you on each, each song? song? Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, good. so let's go ahead and bust on in. First it, one, Radioactive. Well, it starts with that intro, that weird intro. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, where did they come up with that? <laughs> There's a lot of weird moments that like that all over this record that are just so unnecessary. Well, this I joked is one about it in the previous episode of sounding like a bad Alice Cooper record and that I'm being facetious. I, you know, I really enjoy this record. I do, but you know, these weird things, it's like, it almost like it doesn't match the song. It's going to go into, all. but it, so, it starts off sounding like the soundtrack from a horror movie. It's just random. And this was uh, written by a guy named Ron Frangipane. I believe is how you pronounce it. And I guess this guy was also the connection with Janice Ian, and he brought her in, the folk singer Janice Ian, and she's singing the Hosanna part. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's Sean Delaney that's doing the Sanctum. Sanctum. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how much, if any, input Gene has on this. This, again, feels like it's, it's a Sean Delaney idea, and, you know, he's put this together. I don't know. In conjunction with Ron Frangipine or Pine or whatever his name is. 
pain, Frangia pain. Sorry if he's hearing this, which I'm sure he's not. But Gene, but Gene was guy's name. But Gene was the horror movie buff in the group, right? Uh, yeah. So who knows? I mean, so, I'm sure he was cool with it. My personal opinion is this feels very Gene. Like after, like you know, after you read his book and you like kind of get a vibe for like who he is. You watch Family Jewels. You you kind of and you pay attention to the other weird shit he's done, and then especially listening to his vault. And like all the random things that he's kind of demoed throughout the years, I really feel that this is Gene on a record, really doing what he wants. Well, I'm talking about this intro, even the intro, because he didn't write it. No, I think this is a hundred percent Sean Delaney idea. I think he did this all. He went off on his own and had this part and said, "Look, I got this." And Gene was like, "Yeah." I don't know. Maybe because at the same time, maybe this is jumping way far ahead, but I mean, it was Gene's idea to do When You Wish Upon a Star. And that feels so opposing. We'll get to that. But no, I, see, now that I agree with that. That's a Gene thing. It, yeah, because we we know the story on that, which right. we'll get we'll to. Get but it. it feels like Gene would also go, well, yeah, let's start the record off like an old horror movie. Yeah, he may well have. Yeah, so I, but that's at least my opinion on it. You know, And it's a weird jump, though. It goes right into this tight little rocker. Yeah, this is like really upbeat. And yeah. It's definitely the most rocker song on the record. Yeah. And again, the only uh, it's the only track that Kiss ever played live from this record, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, but this isn't as hard well, edged. Te- nah, technically. Okay. Technically, what you mean by that? Well, you're going to go into like the the MTV unplugged. Stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You See you tonight. It? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Um, but this isn't as hard edged as Kiss music. No. no. And and you know nothing on this record is. No, I was going to say like the, much of this uh, like the Peter record. This does not sound like a Kiss record at all to me. It has sort of, to me, a Seeger-esque vibe. And, a little bit. Which is interesting because Bob Seeger is actually on this track. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and I'm not 100%, I, it seemed like I've only seen this one other place. You know, They have them as backing vocals, but I think he's basically duetting with Gene. I think he's the second voice on this. Yeah. All the way through. Mm-hmm. All the, the, huh. the, the double vocal yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Huh. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to listen to that again now with that context. It, it seems like it to me. I can't say that definitively, but I can I, see know, what you're I've talking had it in about, my though. head, and I don't know because I have it in my head, I can't hear it any other way. But once I will I say have the chorus there, does feel a little bigger it. between the radio and mm. But I, I, I think it's a great song, you know. Um, I think it's the best opener he could have picked. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Because we, we discussed with the last two if those were good openers. Because Rip It Out is a fantastic opener. Yeah. but And I, and I think this was served very well as with the tracks well, given. With what he has. Yeah. yeah. You know, but... Um, but no, I think Radioactive is probably the most cohesive rock and roll song. There, There's other upbeat songs in there that I also like. But this is probably the most... This is probably the closest to Kiss Let he gets. Look up for me for a second. I should have this. Is there any co-write credits on any of these songs? Uh, yes, there is. Because I'm going to say there's got to be some Delaney on See. this. Uh, Sean Delaney and Howard Marks on Living in Sin. Yeah, Howard Marks well, gets Howard a Marks, writing credit. Well, he only gets credit because he came up with the He, he had the throwaway line, Living in Sin, out of Holiday Inn. Yeah. That's but yeah, Sean, all. But yeah, that's the only song, aside from the cover at the end, uh, that has a co-write, which is uh, Delaney and Howard. Okay. Which is a because all of this seems like to me would have um, Sean Delaney in it somehow, but I would think he by then was smart enough to get his writing credit, so maybe not. Um, a lot of uh, there, a lot of versions of these songs are on the vault, mm-hmm. and even in demo form, like "Burning Up with Fever," you he, like it. 
the things that Sean added was like the big course of, you know, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and move to, well, Cap didn't share really his thoughts on oh, radioactive. We'll I get like, to that first. I mean, I agree with all of y'all's uh, points on uh, radioactive. It's uh, probably one of my, it's my top three on okay. this record for sure. And it's like the most upbeat rocker. And I like the little bass walk that happens in the end too. Oh, that Neil yeah. Jason does. I think the solo in it's kind of, kind of almost underplayed. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's just a. I mean, it like, serves, like the big but hook is like at the end have, with the wing. Yeah, but but that's like the very last bar yeah, of the solo. It, you know, all this feels again going back to what we talked about with Peter. It's like with with these songs feel like they're riding one foot on the brake. Yep, I mm-hmm. definitely see it with it's that like, song. You yeah. know, he's trying to show that he doesn't have to do barn burning rockers. He's gonna. Try to, well, we'll see this as we go on. He's diverse, man. Before we get into Burning Up with Fever, though, you have the, that classical guitar interlude. Yeah, like, with the weird count leading up to uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the big big count. And then one, he goes in, two, yeah. one, two, three, oh! And then burn, burn, shitty burn, guitar. Burn. And then it's got that little classical guitar thing. And it's weird. It's like... He Why? also says something in between one of them. It's, he yeah, says something like melody. Yeah, yeah. He, he's very like, low just, under his breath. It's, it's like, wh- it's, why? It's why cringy almost. It's, exactly. It's, well, I mean, it's just like, why? Because I could see, like, with, with Gene, Gene's a teetotaler. You know, I could see everybody else being like, they're coked out to the gills and they're gacked and they're like, yeah, hey, we're going to do this. Yeah, this will be great, man. And there it is. Too, and man. it's like, you know, and maybe that's what happened. And Gene was just like, fuck it. <laughs> I don't have time to argue this. <laughs> but Do yeah, it. Burning Up With Fever. Uh, this is one of the songs I remember from The Vault. And yeah, the only thing it really didn't have was the uh, the big chorus of the burn it right, up right. with the background singers. It was him just kind of being a little bit more chill with it, but it still had that you know that same kind of bounce and vibe well, to it. This is a good hard funk number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's fun. It, yeah. And, it, and it's got, yeah. It's a great riff. and uh, That's some strutting down New York City background music. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, and Donna Summer's vocal on this, I mean, she's just flat out killing it. I uh-huh. love it. Does I mean, it- Donna Summer was badass. If you're into that kind of shit, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a funny story that I came across last night where Sean Delaney said that, you know, her boyfriend was German mm-hmm. or her boyfriend slash manager at the time, I guess. Yeah. And um, she could speak German. Well, Gene could speak German too, and so could Sean Delaney. A lot of people, I guess, don't know this. And she didn't know it, and she came in saying some rude shit in German, like like she's speaking confidentially or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he turned around and zipped her in German, like, hey, <laughs> if you're going to say it, you might as well say it in English. You know? <laughs> and after that, everything was cool. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I, which kind of gives me the idea. I wonder if she came in on this with some attitude, like, oh, great, now i got to do a kiss record. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like, she part of the Casablanca. Her. She's part of the Casablanca thing, but I mean, you know. And she was like wanting to move away from Motown and kind of start doing her own thing a little bit. Well, and it's she like, was doing her own thing. I mean, that that when you know her single that we talked about previous, "Love mm-hmm. to Love You, Baby," was the other foot that fell that saved Casablanca in '75. Yeah, she was, so she was, she was every bit as vital, important, and as popular as Kiss was in 1977, just oh, yeah. on a different to a different audience on a different level. But I'm telling you from being, you know, I can remember back in the day, I mean, Donna Summer was fucking huge. I bet. Huge. And, you know, 
it's cool that she's on this. And like I said, she's absolutely killing it and it fits. Everything fits. And you know, this is something that Gene's doing surprisingly well, because it seems like a little bit out of his wheelhouse to be doing that kind of hard funk thing. Because, um, as we'll see in this next. Well, I song, think, I think it kind of, uh, I don't know. We, we see elements of it. Uh, think about like almost human. That almost has a bit of a, a little bit of it. Yeah, like you can see the. But I don't starts. think it, I don't think it's near as good as maybe it's also the band. I think you it's know, the bass playing and got, everything too. They're, they're yeah. able to execute this mm-hmm. much more effectively than say Kiss could because it still yeah. has that Led, and, that's that Led Zeppelin single note you know strut riff thing that well, they do on like I mean, say. Well, uh, we've talked wh- about like how Kiss can do. You know, a lot of their stuff could be kind of like you know construed as influenced by R and B. You know. So I can see that to a degree, but it works better, I think, in the hands of like Peter or Paul yeah. than Gene. You know, but maybe it's also the persona of Gene. You just get used to that kind of you God of Thunder right. demonic thing. <laughs> so he's coming out with this kind of hard funk number, and it works. Yeah, uh, you know, this is a cool song. I like it. It might it might drag a little bit at the end, but very repetitive. Yeah. That's one thing about this record too. Like every chorus is like just repeats like yeah. endlessly. Well, you know, don't bore us. Get with the chorus kind of deal. I'm, I know. You know that's just but a, this that's does feel like it drags just a little bit. But you know, we go into the next track, which is "See You Tonight," and this is Gene at his Beatle best. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely in my top three. I love this song. Mine this too. is this is. Gene's wheelhouse yeah. more mm-hmm. than anything and, and Sean Delaney made a comment on, on some of the research I found last night how basically most of what Gene brought to the table were these demos of folk songs yeah and you know I'm sure they're all very Beatle influenced and this is one of them I mean you know in this song I think it's really great it makes not a lot of sense it's like he's got this kind of lyric idea that's kind of underdeveloped but he doesn't have time to finish it so we're just gonna roll with it there is a line in that song i've never been able to understand which is uh it's it's within like the first line i was trying to think of it right before i says uh don't have any doubt about that fact it never sounds like he says that because I've I've read that online and it's like I try I've listening never, oh, to see, it. I've always heard it that way. It's okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's doubt, a line that's always that. sounded yeah. like mumble to me. Yeah, um, you know, I think part of also what makes this work again is is just the the production, Sean Delaney's production, the uh, string arrangement underneath yeah, it. Yeah, so good. And uh, kind of to me also has kind of reminds me in a weird way of, and this is still Beatley would be. Uh, to a certain extent, um, T-Rex's Cosmic Dancer. Mm, I can hear mm-hmm. that. You know, not, not, I'm sure maybe not even, not even necessarily conscious inspiration or anything. I don't know if they were aware of it or to what degree, but it just, to me, it brings that up. There is a story and probably apocryphal, but I like to think, you know, with mythology, rock and roll mythology, I like to just pretend that, okay, this is a true story. Yeah. And, you know, it may be. But it doesn't come from Gene, which is the only thing that gives it credence. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's a Sean Delaney story. Whoops. um, Sean Delaney made the claim that as they were putting this together, you know, the calls were being made for the special guests. And at some point, they were able to line up all four of the Beatles. I know where you're going. Yeah. And they all agreed to do it with the with the caveat that they would do it uncredited. I think I've heard this story too. And at some point, one of them, I think Ringo, hedged and pulled out. And once the one fell, it was like a domino. They went, yep. 
none of them. Made and of it. course, that sounds like one of those stories where you go like, oh sure. So then they got the. Uh, well, then they got the Beatlemania guys instead. Yeah. No, like I said, that may not be a true story, but I want to believe it's true. Oh yeah, and I mean, a, I've heard a version from Gene that's pretty similar too. And there's a point, well, you know, Gene, of course, well, of course, I talked to each other, one of them on the phone. They were my pers- close personal friends. <laughs> who's, you know, this, who's this band with I the fire? I called them up. I was like John Lennon. <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> this is Gene Simmons of Kiss. Kiss. <laughs> oh, you're the band with the fire and yeah, the blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, you know. It's probably a bullshit story, but I like to believe it. You know, there's a little fantasy that I like to harbor in my head that, like, and once everyone's dead, it'll come out that then it'll be like it was them actually. You know, yeah. it'd be like that's cool. You know, because I mean, there's because that's that, like what they had to say after all yeah, these all years. Those years. Because you know, again, was, remember they couldn't be credited. Yeah. So you know, but you know, and but that goes to show just how large that shadow cast that the Beatles created and that even if you're not a quote unquote Beatles fan or whatever, you know, there's still, there's still some sort of desire for that to somehow exist. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still, you know, it's like, it's like the brightest star in the sky. It's bringing validity to this little band kiss. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, but so much of what kiss is and how they are were and how they operated, you know, was very Beatlesque in, right. in its own perverted way. Mm-hmm. You know, the four individual members each having their own identity, you know, all this and all this is being illustrated here. You know, Gene had the moxie to actually try to get the fucking Beatles <laughs> reunited. Maybe, maybe, but instead he gets the guys from Beatlemania, Mitch Weissman. And I can't say the guy's name. But it's uh, yeah. Every in every article I read, he just said the guys from Beatlemania. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I never actually saw those names. <laughs> but Mitch Weissman, I believe. Let's see, and then there's uh, the founder is Lenny Colasino. Cala- no, it was is it Mitch Weissman? Am I getting it right? Yes, Mitch Weissman yeah. and Joe Joe. Pecorino. Pecorino. See, Pecorino. I, didn't to, I didn't want to say his name. So, so you made me say it and said yeah. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just going to let it ride, but you kept asking. Now I had to say it. Is Joe Pecker- yeah, Pecorino. Pecorino here? <laughs> hey, Joe you know, Pecorino it, over here. Hey, he's fucking Joe. It's Pecorino, you you're fucking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, they, you know, they pop up on this record and and they do a really great job. And the the this this song is such a great song. Um, underrated, mm-hmm. overlooked. I mean, you know, it's it's like we, the lyrics are a little kind of whatever, but it oh, doesn't yeah, really also, matter. I'll see you what tonight, and if I can, I'll cry. I'll see I'll you cry. get it tonight. <laughs> I don't know. It just it he, he mumbles. But see, with Gene, I don't think it, it was like you know a lot of his lyrics. We've talked about this before. It wasn't even. It didn't have to be about anything. You know, yeah. Get up, get your grandma out of here, huh? You know, or <laughs> well, that makes sense to me. Get I'm the going, old fucks you know, out of here. It's time for the young you know, kids. It's to just have like fun. what's this mean? Go, you know, the going blind thing. It's like I think it's just the absurdity, the, uh, the the kind of vagueness of a lyric. It's like what's it yeah. mean? It doesn't have to mean anything. I see you Getty tonight. I'll get it. <laughs> what's it sounds like he says Getty. No, like he kind of is a... So, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think, Gene, it's not even about whether or not it has a literal meaning. It's just, you know, it's just, it's better to have that kind of uh, vague kind of, you know. I'm reading uh, You Won't See Me Without It or something like that. You won't see yeah, it. you won't see me. I'll see you get it tonight and you won't see me without it. So you get it tonight. Yeah. yeah. I'll see you get it tonight. It's like, what is it? it? What's he got? 
Well, probably whatever, you know, uh, it's still a cool song. I really like yes. it. I think, you know, it, 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 I think it shows them kind of a, I hate the word maturity, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely outside of Gene's normal wheelhouse of, of kiss, of kiss, of, you know, of the whole, you know, plaster caster and, mm-hmm whatever kind of you know but he goes right back to it with the, the next back song. door blah blah yeah but then what as soon as we say that uh-huh tunnel, tunnel of love gee i wonder what that's about uh-huh. <laughs> i can't imagine tunnel of love and, you know when i was a little kid i thought it was a ride it I'll, was a ride it just wasn't the ride i was thinking of. i'll say this is the only song on this side i don't like i you know i've always loved this song really and i think part of it is the backing vocal on it then the chorus the female vocal mm-hmm. i don't know who that is doing it it's probably katie seagal who, maybe of, she's on the, yep. she's on this record um it also might be the uh, the girls from um rouge yeah. desmond child and rouge now that rouge the girls on that are on this record is this doing the background fir- is this the first time uh that whole desmond child and rouge camp gets involved with the mm, uh... you know it may well be it may oh, well also, be actually i don't actually you know i think i got that wrong i think it might the be girls on the paul are, I, I, it's on the paul record rouge are so i gotta take that back that's uh, i screwed up on that um but i was when i was a little kid uh i had a crush on this girl that went to my parents were religious i had to go to church every week and there was this teenage girl that got up and would sing every once in a while you know sing one one of her little jesus songs or whatever and her voice was very similar to that oh wow yeah and i had a giant crush on her so that's probably what led me into like you know my little eight-year-old heart palpitating for the for the you know the 15 year old girl that that sounded just like that when she's saying no it does say helen ready for uh, background vocals on true confessions on true confessions so on tunnel of love I know that Donna Summer gets a credit as singing on that apparently, but that's not her on that chorus. I don't no. know who that is. Um, but now we go to the lead guitar part on this. It's been credited to Joe Perry, S- Joe or, Perry, mm-hmm. to, to Skunk Baxter. But from what I can gather from all the research I did on this, it's in fact Richie Rano that's of what Stars. I see. Mm-hmm. And that's a really raunchy guitar solo. If you ever listen to it, I mean, especially at the end, it's like he's he's feeding into a uh, wah pedal. You know, he's, it kind of it sounds almost like a a gurgle at the end of it. Yeah, and I really love that. I think it's just a cool sound. Oh yeah, you know, and 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 he's did multiple tracks and they mix it together so it weaves like one goes into the other uh-huh. kind of a thing. I always love little tricks like that. Yeah, it's just a cool little thing. It's just a raunchy little. You know, it's. You know, it's got that kind of sweet, song. almost innocent tunnel of love background vocal, and then it yeah. goes into that, you know, that, that gnarly guitar in it. And it's just, I always like this song. I just always have. I, I think mean, the part that just gets it for me is his his part of the chorus tunnel of love, tunnel of love. I don't bother me. And when I was a little kid, the part where at the end, there's the whispered, lock it up. <laughs> but for years I, we, I couldn't figure out for the life of me what they're th- what were they saying there I was a little kid I was like because we just could not hear anything other than fuck a duck <laughs> because you know when you're when you're you know when you're like 10 years old or whatever it's like everything's got to be naughty right you of know? course and we, we just insisted that oh they're saying fuck a duck <laughs> like like somehow that was that had some uh, you know whatever 
uh, uh, you know, uh, meaning of some sort, you know, <laughs> course, some the, subversion on, uh, you know. Of course, just in, repeats endlessly on this one, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all of this, it's like, again, this is, um, as with all these albums, I think, uh, with the exception of Aces, they all feel kind of like a little half-baked. They had these ideas I'd of unfinished songs, and it's like, you know, he, he's come to Sean Delaney with these mm-hmm. demos, and we've heard a lot of these, and some of these demos are real short and unfinished, and yeah, you see that it's been fleshed out, and, you know, I think maybe Sean Delaney had a big hand on this. I think it's part of why he was bitter, because I don't think this album could have been done without him finishing and fleshing out a lot of this stuff. That's my opinion. We can't say that for sure. But it just feels that way to me, knowing what we know about the demos and the short amount of time they had to do these in. Do we have any, you know what, I I meant to get the information on this and I didn't. Um, When was this stuff recorded? Do y'all know? Let's see here. It says uh, recorded April to July uh, 78. Okay. Well, you know, in the midst of this, they're also doing the the. TV movie. Yes. So he's already, but the TV movie was filmed in May. So they've already started in April on this. Mm. So I imagine it's mostly April and then June and July. Yeah. So at some point, you know, I don't, I don't know what point they're over in England doing this. Um, side one closes with the song true confessions. And this one's another on my, uh, my bottom. Really? I, I really like this one. I, at first it started when I was re listening to it. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this song, but dude, Talking about the repetitive. By the time they smack you with the third time with that true confessions, you can't help but have a fucking good time. Like I was genuinely enjoying that song. And something that I connected as a kid, because again, listening to this shit as a kid, his vocal melody is very similar to a schoolhouse rock song. It's called Interjections. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The da na na da 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 na Because I had that VHS tape as a kid, and I remember hearing the Interjections song from Schoolhouse Rock and going, that the melody in that sounds very similar to his vocal melody in Drew Confessions. She just watching Saturday morning cartoons and fucking uh, <laughs> well, writing this album. This song really seems to have a sort of retro quality in its arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's still modern, like a modernized version of like, I don't know, uh, some sort of Stax Records kind of thing. Yeah, uh, the big soul vocals, the, the in the in the in the the pumping piano. Mm-hmm. All his piano parts are always identical. You ever notice? It's always a, a, a guy named Richard Bear plays piano. I think on maybe all of these. I, I, there's another guy that plays on this too. Somebody was talking about how those piano parts are really simple. Oh yeah. It's just like, uh, but that's what Christine he wanted. 16 he was very ding, adamant ding, ding, that ding, that's ding, all you want. Yeah. The Christine 16, same thing. It's that same piano kind of, it, yep. there's no variation on it. Yep. Um, but how about this lyric though? I'm not your social security. I'm not your star opportunity. Oh baby, you can have me. Absolutely. <laughs> Just so awkward to me. But won't you give me true, true confessions? You got to be honest. Come with Gene, on, man. look. If you're if you're trying you gotta to be honest with Gene, man, <laughs> look, you got to give him true confessions. Man. Look, man. If if you're trying to if if <laughs> Listen, if, if your argument for this song being in your bottom three is that line, I ask you to revisit. It's one, it's one I one ask album. you to revisit Tunnel of Love. Reread those lyrics oh, oh, and, re, and re and re-examine your stance on this being your bottom three. Oh, Tunnel of Love's in my bottom three too. <laughs> but we also get another what the fuck moment in this song 
song too with that oh yeah that's a bizarre choral part i will agree right that's one of those things that feels like a sean delaney cocaine fueled <laughs> yeah man we're gonna drop this right here yeah this is great <laughs> It's and like, then, why? of course, you've got the kind of odd guest here, Helen Reddy, hear her roar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. singing True Confessions, which, you know, does that make this a feminist anthem? Oh, shit. Gene Simmons, feminist. Ahead of the curb. <laughs> but no, I, I love her vocal performance on it. Like, is it her? I can't tell. I don't know. Who the fuck ever it is. Yeah. I really, like, that That was what sold it for me. Because, again, the verses, whatever, and this cap. Uh, point out the uh, the pre-chorus is a little goofy, but but by the time that again they hit you with that uh, chorus two or three times and she's just belting that shit out. It's like yeah. it's like I, I couldn't help but just like, I'm like bobbing like listening to it in my earbuds and like yeah, it's, this it's is a good, good yeah. song. I mean it's, it's the it's, one it's, part that I like in the song. And this those is another vocals. one that you know all you know now that I'm thinking about it, some of this still kind of strikes me as Seeger esque. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. You know, I can. It's like you know Hollywood Nights or uh, you know something off of. Some night, uh, not uh, of uh, strange, not Stranger in Town, but Night Moves, maybe Stranger in Town too. I don't know, but that era mm-hmm. where he was just on fire. Yeah. Well, you know, those two had been the perennial opening acts for everybody, and then they both broke through with kind of more mainstream success at the same time. More so, Bob Seger than Kiss. Yeah. But um, you yeah. know, they they toured together too and played so much together. Well, you know. Well, at the same time, also going off and you know they've opened for each, I don't uh-huh. know they open for each other, but Bob Seger certainly opened a lot for Kiss. But Midwest in particular, yeah. Well, they you know, so they had kind of their trajectory had kind of fell in line with each other for uh, a few short years in the seventies, and Bob Seger's just doing co-writes all over the place too at yeah, this point. So um, we flipped the record over. And we get you write me sexy letters. The, uh, hold up, <laughs> hold up a minute. I agree, but that's what I'm getting at. This is my least favorite song on the record. I can't stand it. And what he was about to bust into with the fucking I know you write me sexy letters. No, it's I know. <laughs> it's so breathy. <laughs> Sexy letters. And you send your right. pictures right. from my wall. <laughs> it is the creepiest, so horrible thing he has ever. Well, I will, so, I will so, listen hey, to. So much for Gene Simmons feminist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you flip the song over and it's like, no, no. I know you're a creepy older man. And when I saw you coming out of school that day, I knew. It's like, God damn it. Yeah, no. Is sexy? Lascivious, gross. <laughs> and and, and the, it's fucking funny, though. It's funny. I couldn't get the laugh it's out cringy. of it. I, I, I cringe so you hard. Got, oh, that's what makes it funny, you know? <laughs> it's funny because it's not funny, you know? that's Sometimes that's the best humor. It's the shit I'm that... living and saying. Yeah. And what's even weirder is they've noticed when you go into the second vocal underneath it, you got this weird backing vocal going, hoo-ha-ha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which is Chaco. Yeah, I was like, did they get that from, you know, Blue Suede's Hooked on a Feeling? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you know? But that's what they're doing underneath it. And yeah. I remember, I never heard that for years and years and years. And then about 25 years ago now, 20 years ago, I was listening to the album on headphones one night and I heard it. It was more, you know, it was more pronounced than my headphones. And that was the first time I noticed that. And I was just was like, 
what the what the fuck was that? <laughs> and then it's like you dig out the vinyl. And it's like, is this just the CD version? They're, Did they're, they George Lucas this it's, shit? It's underneath it, you know, or whatever I, they're doing. I do like that the phone call in the middle of the song is share and Chastity Bono. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Now yep. Chastity Bono was was Sonny and Cher's little girl. Yep. Who was neither little nor girl. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> this is a kiss podcast for us. <laughs> she is now she is now he and he is Chaz Bono. Yes. And uh but at the time this was, you know, I mean probably eight or ten years old here and it's mm-hmm. just playing but it's mostly share acting like a, uh, a super fan or a groupie or yeah i want to know how that conversation point. went down because in gene's book and every time he talks about share it's the only if you notice this share is the only girl gene will not talk like a pig about he oh. has never spoken about Cher in the way he does even Shannon. Yeah. Like he'll talk about Shannon, be like, "Oh yeah, she fucking rocked my world. She'll do this, that, and the other." And like he's, he kind of said it like with all his other exes, he never goes into detail like that with because Cher. Because I think Cher was able to one up him, mm-hmm. and and for lack of a better, better uh, way of putting it, she's probably the only woman that was able to like put him in his place quote right unquote, which oh he yeah is certainly not used to so but i wonder I how that felt, conversation went down and be like hey, uh. think no matter where they were in their relationship and at this point they're just starting to see each other yeah and i think at this point i think um i think or all through their relationship i think he always felt like she was the greater star the greater mm-hmm. you know he kind of even he, says he, that he in the book not wrong. Know, so he was always in second place to her and deferred to her and you know he obviously loved her very much and i think it was his first real great love i don't think he had ever had something like that before so even with that in mind though the comedy in my head is written out this like they're hanging out at the uh, the little penthouse that he talks about in his book and he's like hey uh <laughs> for my for my record oh you want me to guess that? I, I don't want you to sing um <laughs> i wanted to know if you could like call and like be a super fan well what do you want me to say uh so uh, <laughs> I, wrote out, I wrote out a thing yeah it's like that that just feels like such a it's like I, even my longest time girlfriend that would or like you know anything that would still just be the most awkward conversation to have be like hey could you be like a super fan for my album. What, what's the song about? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about groupies. Want to be a groupie? Yeah, it just it a, feels, te- a teenage groupie of that. Yeah, and then, yeah it's got to be a teenage. It's nineteen seventy eight. Add on top because, of that, because when I saw you coming, out of <laughs> and then add on top of that, it's share. Yeah, capital C yeah, share. Ca- yeah, capital C, capital H, capital uh, E. Uh, share was huge, y'all. I mean. Cher was like the it girl of the 70s. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, and Cher was always the coolest woman in the room, you know. And you just. Half breed, man. Hey, dude. <laughs> she me, doesn't even talk about that nope. song anymore. You need to quit bringing it up. You're I, more fascinated I, with that I song than look, she man, is. My, my whole thing is Cher 68 before she started getting the plastic surgery and stuff, and she still kind of got the kind of the. Natural the, beauty. Yeah. She was, she was foxy, man. Um, so, you know, high five Gene Simmons, but you know, <laughs> that song, it, I think it's intentionally silly. I think it's intentionally, you know, meant to make you kind of, yeah, 
So, but it's, it's you know, living in the Holiday Inn. I can remember when Kiss came to Roanoke, Virginia in 1979, there was a Holiday Inn across the street from the city. <laughs> what Kiss is there? And, dude, it, it was just packed with kids thinking for sure they were going to get to meet them because of, <laughs> Not know. a goddamn Holiday yeah. Inn, y'all. They were, they, you know, they were at the, at the Hotel Roanoke, but uh-huh. whatever. I think there was a Kiss commercial in the 90s where it's like uh, some Kiss imposters were uh, taking their gear off and there were some reporters were like, you guys aren't Kiss. No, but we did stay at a Holiday Inn yeah. last yeah. night. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they were living in... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> living in copyright infringement. Yes. <laughs> All right, listen, we got to keep this rolling because we're, we're not being brief. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Always near you, nowhere to hide. In- uh, I'm middle of the road with that one. It didn't offend me, but at no. the same time, I don't like it. But it, I didn't listen to it and go, it's a stinker. It just bored me more yeah. than anything. It just kind of goes on forever, too. This is him trying to tap into his inner singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And I think this works for me. It succeeds to, the again, Sean Delaney's production. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know whose idea. It was like, it seems like it's two songs stitched together that were like half ideas. Yeah. And I don't know if Gene put it together or if... Sean Delaney put it like if they were two different ideas that they were like oh we can put this together and make kind of a suite out of it right you know but um, it's got the cool the, I like that chorus arrangement at the end you know yeah and, and, and it's where he starts flexing his vocal a little and then, too that was gonna say but here you got Gene really going outside the box with his vocals and more so than any other thing I can think of he's ever done and he pulls it off it's not like he's falling flat on his face with it mm-hmm. uh it's it's odd because it's of who it is yeah in any other hands it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't be the the same thing it's an odd song everything on this is odd these yeah. songs are all odd you know i can't see any of these songs being like hit singles that would have connected with like you know even a yacht rock audience or, yeah or just even the just your <laughs> average fan you know again Part of the appeal for any band to be successful is gotta it's gotta attract girls. Mm-hmm. And this isn't I can see this is like an effort maybe to attract girls, but it's not. It's too fucking weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's too weird to attract girls and it's too you know, it's too quote unquote lame to attract the dudes because they're not hard rockers. Mm-hmm. So this record kind of fails, I think, in that respect. But Jean that t- said, I like this song. I do. I really liked it. I, but the, again, a lot of this goes back to like when I was talking about the Peter record. I've, I've had these records since I was like, you know, six or eight years old or whatever right. I was. And, uh, you know, I've never not known them. And I don't know if I like them because I've just, you know, because they're good or because I've just grown up with them and they're part of my, you know, genetic makeup at this point. Right. Um, Man of a Thousand Faces. This just sounds like a bad 70s TV show theme song to me. <laughs> I've written in my notes, this song is stupid. It is stupid. Yet I love it. This <laughs> is my favorite fucking song on the record. Really? really? And I know it's stupid. And I don't care. I embrace the stupidity. I wear it like a fucking robe. <laughs> I, it's not my top three, but it would be, it would be my fourth. I, I do enjoy it. I think, you know, I like that horn section in yeah. it, you know? <laughs> And it has that that line. You know, it's funny when you're a little kid. It's like I don't know what it is that taps into your psyche where you want to. You know, anything that's like bad is like good. You mm-hmm. know, it's like oh, that's naughty. And I that line my... about well, no, it's like for me coming from a religious home. You know, I guess it's just like, you know, 
he says that part where he's like the king of night he understands and i'm like uh-huh. yeah he understands <laughs> See, he yeah, gets yeah. it you know it's like you feel alienated you feel weird even at that age in elementary school he's like well you know well so i like it because like just that one line of the i make my own rules because mm. i am yeah. a man of a thousand faces yeah. and it's like being it's, the comic fan in me i was like ooh, it's like you know the chameleon the uh spider-man villain it's right. like ooh, he can just put on any face and you know infiltrate shit it's like he does make his own rules kind but of then, shit you know from from a negative side you can just say is this him admitting he's just full of shit <laughs> the one time he does is this that for like, years yeah. i live inside my dreams yeah. well you know i mean but it's a I, I just think it's a cool song i've always liked it i like the horn section in it i like the flip on the vocal where yes. he's doing like the beetle vocal and then he does the the gene vocal yes. does that make sense yeah mm-hmm. and, then, and then they do a weird vocal harmony change near the end um because he he starts out doing the uh, uh, man yeah. of a thousand. And then he swings it up. He's a man, man, and, but it's him doing it too. Uh, it like almost in like it's a, all him. Yeah, yeah and it's it's a cool little transitional thing. Um, yeah, for me, it's just kind of like the last track where it doesn't offend me, but doesn't excite me either. Yeah. yeah. I could see that, you know. Again, I don't know if I like this song because it's good or if it's just because I, you know, it's it's a nostalgia thing for me. I suspect that's probably got more to do with it. Um, Mr. Make Believe. My other three. I love this song. This is right up there with See You Tonight with like, ah, it's just, it works so well. There's a few good songs on this side for me. <laughs> this is, be, you know, this is, you know, to me, it's like Gene's default mode. When in doubt, Beetle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, Beetle. Yep. I love that. Uh, that you know, that choice of chord progressions too. Yes. You know, it's grown on me over time. I think you know this could have enjoyed wider success in the hands of a more established singer-songwriter type, like maybe yeah. uh, Elton John or something. Does it make sense? No, yeah. absolutely. Because Elton John could tap into that Beatle thing a little bit too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know that maybe this wasn't even inspired by that kind of a songwriting oh, it approach ha- it, it, it feels beatles to me also especially with like the the pre-chorus the, the baby won't yeah. you try that the whole and the but harmonies hear, they that, do all that just makes me just feels like elton john to me really i could i'm like you know it's like if i were it seemed like if i were in the studio you know and he's sitting there chalking off his guest list i would be like hey fucking elton john man <laughs> <laughs> you know i, and I think tried, he would have fit right in on that it oh yeah it would have fit you know him perfect um but let's let's keep it rolling here because we're, we're yeah out of time uh see you in your dreams the retooled kiss tune from rock and roll over i like this version a lot I rumor has it i don't know if you've gotten this one too but the the mythology behind this was that gene did not like the way it the end product sounded on rock and roll over which is crazy because that's it's so it's great the superior version <laughs> yeah i think maybe maybe it's different you know but i think yeah i think i think the kiss one is, is. i did i agree with that but there I are like things the about this, one, this that i really like though like the mm-hmm. the background vocals it's a it, yeah and, and the rick nielsen guitar rick solo and plays guitar on well, it well okay the, just even the open the way the riff opens it's, it's a more of a riff you know mm-hmm and you talked about the backing vocals. Um, it's got that husky, soulful vocal. You mm-hmm. know, I'd like to see you. It, you know, that's Michael yeah. DeBar. Oh, a, oh, okay. I thought that was Gene for a... No, I, when I was a little kid, I, I just visioned this, like, you know, big black soul singer. 
You know, huh. like some. Uh, I was like, I, a big black woman was actually a little white guy from England. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> but you know that that's just how powerful that guy's voice is. Yeah. Like. And you know he's. Uh, I if you go back, if people that may not know or are not familiar with Michael DeBar, um, I'm somewhat familiar with him. The the he he was at that point he was in a band called Detective, mm-hmm. uh, who were on uh, I think they were actually produced by Jimmy Page. They were on Swan Song. Okay, but the band for me the, was his band prior was a band called Silverhead. Okay, and really really good kind of glam rock meets the Stones kind of thing early seventies, mm-hmm. and Michael DeBar just had that voice man. He was kind of almost like a a. Um, Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm having senior moments here. Y'all. No, no, I just got into uh, Silverhead actually uh, like a couple of months ago, something like that. And that, the wheels in my head started turning, going like that Silverhead. And then I looked it up on my Spotify. That Silverhead yeah. material fucking rules. Yeah, it's really great. And you know, and it was, he's kind of got a kind of got like a Steve Marriott vibe, yeah. kind of yeah. vocal to him. You know, I could see Steve Marriott doing the same thing here. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, but then you also talk about the uh, solo with. Um, Rick Nelson, who from Cheap Trick, Cheap Trick, who had just you know famously they did their tour that kind of broke them in America, I think. Yeah, uh, this is still pre at Budokan. You're right. So, uh, and this might be one of the earlier guest spots Rick Nelson did because he ended up doing a lot of sessions for a lot of different people. I think, right? Most notably, John Lennon. Yep. Uh, and you know, I never noticed for years and years and years. That the first few bars of that solo is wish you when you wish upon a star. Bow, I never wow, caught that. Wow, <laughs> never. I'm and then I, it was only now. been about twenty years ago where I, it, it, that hit me too. I was like, "Shit, how did I miss that <laughs> all my life?" You know. And yeah. then it was like, "Oh, there it is." Oh yeah. And in the song, I know we're going long, but uh, he adds another verse. Yeah, there's an extra verse on it too. Yeah, the yep. I love you, you know I do. Take me on. I don't think that adds to the you think song. Think of me. I think I I, like, uh, if it, like literally the lines feel like he thought about it in the moment. Maybe, but they wouldn't have been. They would have had to, have, you know, had to have been tracked out that way. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the original had that line. And he cut it when they did the kiss one. You Maybe. Know? And I don't know though. But uh, you know, this is apples and oranges. Not really. It's really apples to apples. But maybe maybe like a red apple to a green apple. I mean, I don't right. know. It's the same song, but you know, it's really a toss up. And I guess it's kind of different know, coat of paint. Yeah. I, but I think I'm at the end of the day. I like the lead that Ace does on the original version better than the Rick Nelson lead. Yeah. And that's not just only because maybe just because it serves that version though, Mm -hmm. you know, but I am partial to that. That makes sense. Now we get to the closing song. The the song that's supposed to wrap it all this up, bring it, it on home. Yeah, yeah. This is uh with the this is like on the cover where Gene Simmons face has got some blood, blood dripping out. Red background, demonic yeah. face. You know, he's and, the demon, you and, know. But but when you wish upon a star. Yes. <laughs> Not even a redo, re-record. They just grab essentially the movie version of the song, strip the vocal, and no, then they're like, I here think, you go. Is it, but that, is it not a, a new arrangement, a new recording? I didn't see any info think. on a new new arrangement. I, I know when he got uh, folks together to do um, an eight-piece orchestra for See You Tonight. But I never saw any mention about a new orchestral piece for When You Wish Upon a Star. So I could have just maybe overlooked that. 
Yeah, I don't see anything even on the. I'm just, of course, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. Or and, and just the reason I'm thinking it's the original is there's so many familiar swells that I, I'm just going well, on if, that. Yeah, okay, I, so I, there are uh, symphonic arrangements uh, for from members of New York and Los Angeles uh, mm-hmm. orchestras, but you said it was probably see you for, tonight. for See You Tonight. They probably did this too, I would think. Maybe. I can't, I can't I, you know. I think had it been uh, an existing recording, which still would have been credited thusly. I can't see them, you know, not doing that, especially if it belonged to another company. I mean the, I mean the way it's uh, kind of listed off, like you click the song and it takes you to a Disney wiki page. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm not know. sure. Either way, here, very, here, this is my. We're gonna we're let's you know go what? through that note. What what is it? What else do you need to add to this? Well, because I've got my notes for it, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with that. So I'm gonna let y'all inject okay. what what your opinions are of this. Uh, I understand it for the story you're probably about to give. Yeah, I'm not gonna give a story. I mean, oh, okay, well, I understand it because it's a callback to that's the very first song he heard mm-hmm. when he got to America. It's right. the first song he learned in English. All this other stuff. Exactly. So, so understanding the history. I appreciate it. Before I understood his history, I thought it was the dumbest thing he could have done. Right. And that's honestly my opinion. Yeah, if I was a Kiss fan and found this, I'd be like, uh, what the shit? You know? Yeah. Well, without the context. This is this is what I wrote about it. And this kind of bounces off of what you just said, but in a nutshell, I get it. Mm hmm. But nope. Yeah. <laughs> I I will skip this every single time. Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that album ends as those the, the, <laughs> at the, see the you bouncing dreams out tonight. of see your dreams. This still feels more like a Sean Delaney project than a Gene Simmons project to me. I think Sean was a great and underrated producer. I think he should have had a much better and brighter career than he did. Uh, you know, I don't know how he got sideways on that. Um, you know, I'm sure that his own. You know, demons proclivities and and probably like played demons. into that <laughs> but at the same time i think there might have been a negative connotation particularly coming out of the kiss thing that you know it was like oh kiss you know like no one wants to work with that guy which is not fair and not right because that guy was so infinitely talented you know so and so important and vital to this the, to the success that this band had is illustrated that that you know Gene taps him to produce the record. You know, I mean, that says a lot. And you know, they want to downplay a lot. It seems like they kind of undervalue what he brought to the table when you read about what they say about him now. And you look at it though, it doesn't make he sense. Did a lot, and I think so much. Work. I think these songs fleshed out because of him, what he brought. I have a very hard time thinking that you know who else could have done it. And I don't, you know. And again, I'm comparing it to the work that he's done, like again on his own solo album, and it's it's very you know very much a similar thing. I want to I want to wrap this up real quick, um, just by uh, noting uh, Gene's record on the back has a thank you list, and it's huge. And there's some interesting names that pop up on this thing. It's just name dropping like a motherfucker. He is, watch your toes, y'all. Because oh <laughs> he's dropping names. But, I mean, some of it, though, I mean, he's got the original Kiss crew in here. He's got uh, Jan Uleski, who wrote the first one of their first big articles in Cream Magazine. You know, the, I was on stage with Kiss in my main form bra. Um, I mean, he thanks uh, their original manager, Ron Johnson. 
uh, he's got uh, guys from Wicked Lester. He's got Van Halen. He's got uh, Margot Hemingway. I wonder what that's all about. Who is Margot Hemingway? Uh, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter. Oh, okay. And a supermodel was the late. Now she's the late. Sammy Davis Jr., Dinah Shore. You know, I'm like, is this just because he, you know, is he just picking names out of a hat? Or right. does he have a reason? Sean Cassidy, look at me Ted and my, Nugent. Look at me and my famous friends. Steve Tyler and Sorinda Fox. He just lists as Sorinda. Stevie Nicks. Uh, you know, I just he's got, he he thinks Richie Wer- or Richie 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 Wise and Kenny Kerner. Mm-hmm. He he thinks uh, Toadie Fields, huh? Who, from, the, know, the, from, inter- from the the TV show. show, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Dick Clark. He you know he's dropping all kinds of names here. Larry DiMarzio because DiMarzio pickups. Yeah, yep. they were using this pickups. Uh, you know, Robert Duncan, who was a writer for Cream and wrote the first, I think probably the first book on Kiss. That's what I love that I can see the genuine appreciation for like uh, all the the magazines and those that supported the band throughout the you know the beginning of his of Kiss's career. Like I can see a genuine appreciation for that, but he's also flexing like a motherfucker at the same time. <laughs> he's thinking. He's thinking. Uh, Lou Lynette, who was, an, uh, who was the early manager, I think, before Ron Johnson. We get that kind of blurred there. Yeah. Uh, BOC, The Brats, The Harlots of 42nd Street, all the all the bands they play with in the day. I mean, this is a huge list. Mm-hmm. Rodney Bingenheimer, uh, you know, and of course he ends it with dot, 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 and mom. Oh. He loves his mama. Yes. So, so it's a Gene's, very Gene's record is you know it's got this sort of you know sense of personality to it, but it also at the same time has Sean Delaney's personality to it. So it's so kind it's like of feels Sean like it's Gene got a, du- a duality. It's Gene's ideas, Gene's material, you know, but it's been brought to life by the mad scientist that is Sean Delaney. Yeah, how, how do we feel about it overall? Um, Hmm? How do we feel about uh, this record overall? Like I said, though, that's kind of where I am. I just feel like, you know, this is a very underrated effort from Sean Delaney. I think he's the guy that makes this record work. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It's peak chart position. We were going to do this on all of them. Yes. Um, I've got it as uh, peaking at 22 mm-hmm. on the week of January 6th, 1979, which was nearly four months after the original release. Yeah. So these records are kind of creeping in in into the into the charts but they're not just like making waves not really. making big waves no. you know and uh, but they shipped out a million of these anyway and by yeah so that is the fucking party that is the whole uh, the, the very expansive party that yeah, is the gene simmons album the gene simmons album there's this one ran kind of long there's a lot to it yeah so uh hopefully y'all have enjoyed listening to this and we're gonna I guess you got anything you want to add? Nah, I'm solid, man. All right. Well, this was episode C, and C. we're gonna see you later <laughs> on the D <laughs> in your <laughs> dreams see tonight. You on the D <laughs> for the Paul episode. The oh Paul God, episode. this oh, is already. <laughs> <laughs> if you wake up with a star in your crotch, then it's been a good episode. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all right. With that, stay tuned for Paul Stanley, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.